Good morning, everybody. It is week three of Orange October. And Orange October, as Dan reminded us a couple weeks ago, a three-week celebration of a year-round approach to ministry that we have here at Forestbrook. So if you're new here, this Orange concept is simple. You'll see it on the slide. When the church is intentional about showing people who God is, and the family is intentional about showing children the love and care of God, the result is greater faith development in the next generation. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. This year, as Yvonne shared, our theme is focused. The church and family working together to bring God into better focus in our lives. Now, first, just a quick word. If you've been here the last two weeks, you know that Dan and then Kevin set the bar fairly high in terms of wearing orange for this series. If you remember, Dan went so far as to say that he has this great love for the color orange and shared this picture with us of just part of his orange wardrobe. I, on the other hand, owned none. So I asked Dan if I could borrow one of his tops. Turns out, who knew, that we're pretty much the same size. So last Sunday, as I came to the church, even though Dan was out crushing a cold-weather marathon in Quebec, he had left a uh, shopping bag with two shirts inside of it. This was one, and here was the other one. I gasped as at the bottom of the bag was Dan's 2018 Boston Marathon jersey. Now, it wasn't like this. He had it crumpled up in the bottom of the bag. But for me, I couldn't believe, I mean, I don't know if you, if you know about this race, but out of great respect for Dan, I, I felt like I couldn't possibly wear this this morning. All the early mornings, the pain, the cold weather running, all the time that he put in to earn this shirt. I don't know if you remember the Boston Marathon, the weather, this is what Dan ran in in order to be able to get this shirt this last spring. And just out of respect, Dan, to you, out of respect to the, to the race itself, I just felt like I couldn't possibly wear it this morning. But last Sunday when I went home and I was kind of on my own, I thought maybe I could at least try it on. <laughs> so I, I, I did try it on and it actually felt really good. It fit really good. So Monday I thought, well, it probably wouldn't hurt to maybe just work out. <laughs> in a little bit, which went really well. Tuesday, I was able to get the lawn cut. <laughs> Wednesday, this was really good. I was able to do it, test out some of these Orange October ideas on some of our staff, and you can tell like, it went over super well. They were really engaged. <laughs> Thursday, Rebecca came home. It was her 21st birthday. I couldn't find our birthday flag, so Dan, thank you for letting us uh, use that to help celebrate. Friday, I was exhausted on Friday. I had a great night's sleep. I can't even remember. Yesterday was more just, oh, actually, well, my <laughs> job's around the house. So didn't want to wear it, but then he had given me this other shirt as well, and this one is perfect. I mean, it's orange. It even has these thumb holes. So when I'm preaching, I'm assuming this is what it's for. When I'm preaching and I'm talking like the church and family, like the sleeves stay with my arms. If you praise, right, they don't go anywhere. It's awesome. So thank you, Dan. For, uh, for this, and Kevin, yes. Um, just thank you to Brian, just so you couldn't afterwards say at least you had orange socks. We, uh, we have those on as well. Last week, uh, Jennifer Kahn and myself had the privilege, gotta put these back up now, 
of putting together an, an expert panel to be able to come in and share their insights re, uh, in, regarding vulnerable youth in the city of Toronto. And they came and they spoke to a lot of our Youth Unlimited ministry team leaders. So starting on the left, we had a high school principal down at Lakeshore Collegiate. Next to him was a police officer from uh, the Don Mills and Eglinton area who's been a community engagement officer with children and youth for many decades. Beside him was a, a pastor who's been at the same church in Jane Finch for 35 years. And the far end, that woman was one who helped write the recommendations for the Toronto Youth Equity Strategy. So as far as we know, they're all friends of YU, of, of Youth Unlimited. But as far as we know, only one would self-identify as a Christian. At least I, I want to give Pastor Audley, <laughs> for after 35 years, the benefit of the doubt. But we were so moved to hear these individuals share their heart for the well-being of the youth in the city. And what struck me, and, and I knew, this was this week, so I knew that we would uh, be having this happening. All four emphasized the critical need to come alongside and engage families in their various roles in order for, like, for the well-being and sake of the city. All four of them just thought engaging families was crucial. Then yesterday morning, I got a message passed along by Deb uh, Ginneller that in 1950, Eric Erickson, you may know him as a fav famous developmental psychologist, he coined the term generativity to refer to, and I'm quoting him here, a concern for establishing and guiding the next generation. He felt it was something that is hardwired in us that seeks expression in our middle and later years. And it struck me that this deep desire that kind of Orange October is about to invest into the lives of children and teens is not unique to Christians. What is unique and why we focus on October is a crucial additional later. And that is the profound desire that we have as Christians to invest in the faith development of the next generation so they can choose to pursue an all-in lifelong relationship with Jesus. Last week we heard Kevin, Elizabeth, and Jolene at different times in different ways all express that more than anything in the world, their greatest desire is for their children to know the Lord, to be able to hear his voice and to be able to walk in relationship with him. Many of us here this morning would add our voice to that. Every other parenting desire for our kids, their career, their relationships, their accomplishments, their education, everything else pales in comparison to that. And Deb sent in this, this beautiful verse that we'll start with this morning that just captures this heart for Orange October so well. Now that I'm old and gray for all generations, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. And so with that as the context, this passing on, the faith development of the next generation, Dan started us off a couple weeks ago reminding us of the role of the church. Simply, it was the church, meaning the community, not the building, is to proclaim God's glory and show the world who God is. He reminded us of the image of the lampstand from the book of Revelations. It's to give light to the world and never go out. It's not the church's role to parent but to surround children and youth, remind them of God's love and that they're not alone. That's the church role. Kevin last week recapped the role of the family. 
And the role of the family is to show one another the love of God and to pass along faith to our own children and beyond. He unpacked for us that passage in Abraham, that it's to roll beyond ourselves, beyond our own children, beyond their children. He looked at scripture and thankfully reminded us that this is not just for perfect families and it's never too late to get started. It's for all of us, this role to pass along our faith. So he then called us to pray for the next generation, invited us up. It's very moving. Those of you who were here last week to see so many of us come up and write names on these two charts at the side. The next generation that we were committed to pray for. It was very orange. <laughs> and I want to add just something to that, a reminder or an encouragement. For those that may be here that are younger and you realize you don't have a biological Christian family walking alongside with you. Don't give up hope. God's intent is to place all of us in spiritual families. Part of what moved me so much last week was being able to go up to, to these and, and kind of see the number of names written that weren't just someone's own children or grandchildren, but other names. Other names of people that were special to them that almost like a, that they were committing to almost spiritually adopt as their own and commit to prayer. A beautiful picture. And so we get today to today, and it's a reminder that we need both. God created male and female. The Old Testament had prophets and priests, each with a role to play. In the New Testament, the, the churches had deacons and elders. Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs. God often chooses this system of both and to develop his kingdom so that his kingdom is vibrant and his kingdom is complete. It's not just meant to be church or family. In fact, it's not even meant to be church and family, but both tracking our own way without integrating. God's desire is church and family working together, in sync together. Why? Because it's one spirit that is prompting both. It's one spirit that draws us together. Together to ensure every opportunity for the next generation to thrive in their faith development. So as I was preparing for the final message in this series, it really struck me that the family without church lacks some vital elements. And I think this morning, these areas of lacking can be a clue for us as families on how we should reach out for the support of the church. So there'd be lots that could fall into this. Three came to mind for me. Here they were. The first one, areas that if families are trying to do it themselves, one of the things that is lacking is credibility. Especially during challenging times at home or some of the natural pushback as, as youth become more independent, as they move into adulthood, it is normal to have that striving. And parents know it all when our kids are eight. It's amazing how much we forget and how foolish we get over the next six years. Because when they're 14, we know next to nothing sometimes. And that is where it is critical because with, without the church... The family can just become, it, it can just become a family faith. We need the broader church to give exposure, to give voice, to give a, a wider context so that those experiencing faith in families can see that they are part of something bigger. It adds credibility. Families who try to do it on their own without church, they will lack the faith network across cultures, across generations. Friends and mentors that can bring challenge, that can bring affirmation in a fresh, different voice from mom or dad. 
You know, Kevin mentioned last week the renegotiating faith, a new Canadian study that is just a reminder of, of probably what we already expected, and that is that youth raised in the church require an extended faith network during their post-high school years in order for their faith to stay. And, you know, I, I, I got to say, I felt for Naomi. We, we discovered this research shortly before Naomi went off to Queen's. And so she was getting every email, every link, everything we could think of for churches in Kingston and for, for campus groups on uh, Power to Change and Athletes in Action, all these faith groups on campus. We, anyone, like someone went to a Billy Graham crusade or their neighbor did like back in the 50s and they're in Kingston, we wanted, uh, we wanted them to reach out to Naomi. Eventually, Naomi kindly uh, said that we were being a little overzealous in that and that uh, we kind of needed to give some space. But regardless of that, the point remains valid. And the point is, churches provide that sustainability of faith during seasons where, as parents, we have less connection. So one really tangible idea I wanted to share this morning that, uh, that we've heard of and, and just makes so much sense. During transition times, for your kids or for your grandchildren or for someone who is special to you, and maybe they're transitioning junior high to senior high, or maybe it's high school to university, or maybe it's wrapped up university and transitioning into trying to find their first job. One suggestion is to give them one or two restaurant gift cards and let them take out an older Christian, someone who can be a fresh voice speaking to them into this time of transition, other than just mom and dad's voice, someone that they, they trust, that they respect, that they can invite out, they go out to dinner, and can be an other voice building that faith network in the lives of our kids. Be money well spent. A third piece that came to me that for families that try to do it on their own, absent the church, is we lack expertise. Our sample size of our families is just too small. Lisa Suderman, your parents may be excluded from this. <laughs> Their sample size may have been large enough with you and your 17 siblings. But for most of us, we don't have enough expertise. So the, the, the deeper teaching, the wisdom that can come from surrounding ourselves with others in an environment like this is crucial for us to make it, for our kids to, to have faith of their own that can pass along. So, friends, I, I'm here, after thinking things through this week, convinced that families that think they can thrive and their kids can thrive without the church are wrong. What about the other side? What about church that thinks we can move forward with the mission that God's given us without integrating closely with families. And to me, it's the exact same picture. There are things in that model that are lacking. And those things that are lacking gives the clue for the church in terms of how to come alongside and engage families. One of the first things that's missing is parental love. Parents remain the most influential role, voice, in the lives of their children. And faith development requires everyday love and support and conversations and back and forth and problem solving and praying together and sticking it out. It requires that daily interaction. And the church just frankly doesn't have the infrastructure for that. So, so as much as might happen here on a Sunday or on a Tuesday night with small group, it lacks the day-to-day on-the-ground integration to be able to see faith developed and thrived. 
A second area to me that, that is a gap if the church just tries to do it on their own is the opportunities for implementation. And I remember as a youth pastor back in Uxbridge, there were kids that, that any time the church was open, they were there. I'd be there and, and they would arrive soon after. They might as well have had a key to the place. And at the time, I remember thinking, this is perfect. This is great. These kids are going to thrive. All this time at church, all this time in church programs, all this time in church activity and hanging out with us here. What I realize now, I have a bit of a different perspective of it. Now, the, the picture that that brings to mind to me is like pulling your chair up to a buffet at the Mandarin. Always eating and never exercising. And there are implementation opportunities that can only come at home. It's relatively easy for us to live faith out here. On Sunday, surrounded by Christians, surrounded by others who are doing well. The tough part is taking what we engage with here and the necessary part for our faith development is taking that home and inviting God's Spirit to help us live it out with the people that see us at our worst. Our parents, our kids, our siblings. That is needed for our faith to take root. And without those key opportunities, the church can just become ivory tower. It can, it can become irrelevant without nuts and bolts opportunities to implement what God does here when we're together. A final area to me that is a gap if the church tries to go it on our own is our reach. If you remember, the, the purpose of the church was to proclaim God's glory and to show God's love to the world. If we try to do this without engaging closely with families... We lose being able to declare that into extended family members. We lose being able to declare that into classmates, into co-workers. We, we shut down and limit our reach. And so the church needs to find ways to engage with parents and these opportunities to implement and opportunities to, to speak God's love into the extended families. And so just like family, churches that think that they can thrive without the family and engaging family are wrong. It's God's design that his spirit works together. That what happens on a Sunday morning is no more or no less important than what happens around our dinner tables at home. Both can be beautiful pictures of God's spirit at work. Together, faith development can thrive. The church needs to be shaped to effectively engage families. Consideration around things like childcare and scheduling and gatherings that are our next generation are able to fully engage in. I'm thankful that Forrest Brook desires this and is moving towards this. But families, too, need to be shaped to look at the church, not just for age-based programming. They've got kids' programs. They've got teen programs on Tuesday nights. But for training on how we can disciple our own children well. Families should be reaching out to the pastors, elders, ministry leaders for support, for wisdom, for prayer for our kids. And a passage this week to me, just before we go to communion, I want us to spend a few minutes in, is this passage that uh, Howard read from the piano in Luke 2. It is a beautiful, unique glimpse into Orange 2,000 years ago. It's the only passage in Scripture that talks to us about Jesus between when he was a baby and when he was an adult. And so in this Luke 2, early on in verse 16, it describes him as, a, the Greek word is brephos, a baby. And in verse 40, right before this one, it describes him as pation is the Greek word, which meant a little boy. 
And now we see in verse 43, you'll see at the bottom there, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. It's this picture of his growing and development. And this story takes place when he's 12. Jewish boys at 13 became full adult members of the synagogue. It's kind of like the bar mitzvah routine and celebration today. So Jesus in this story is 12. It's key. It's a year where instruction would become more and more important and intense. So if we go to the next slide, there's this part of the story where all of a sudden is Jesus stays behind. His parents are heading home. And it's, it could be comical, almost, this picture of them having left him behind. And some suggest that the reason for this is that women and the younger kids would go out front. And the men and the older boys would go out back. And so they all kind of would head back to their homes together. And if that were the case, Jesus at 12 years old was right in that awkward in-between age. So maybe Joseph's thinking that he's up with Mary, and Mary's thinking he's back with Joseph. And they get on their way home, not realizing they've left him at church. Hands up (laughs) if you've done it. We have done it. On mornings where we bring two cars to church, we have done it. It might happen today where all of a sudden you're on your way home and the kids have been left behind. It could also be that it was the the culture of a village raising a child. And so they just were comfortable at the beginning, assuming that Jesus was somewhere there with extended family or with friends. Either way, family's on their way home, Jesus is left at church, it's very orange. But the next part of their story, we can think now, like picture Jesus now sitting there with the temple leaders. Likely far stronger, wiser teachers than would have been in his small rural town of Nazareth. And Jesus, as a 12-year-old, was clearly eager to learn. He's welcomed among them. He's asking questions. It was common for students to sit at the feet of the rabbis. Today, we would call it mentoring. And here he is at 12 years old, knowing there's something here that he craves. Mary's response indicates the normal worry and panic that any of us as parents would have if our kid had gone missing for three days. The Greek there is actually words of deep mental anguish. And and they're probably also, Mary and Joseph, thinking, we can't believe we've we've lost them. What kind of parents are we? We can't believe we forgot them. Meanwhile, Jesus was flourishing. There is no safer place for our kids than in the Father's house with God. They just didn't grasp at that moment how crucial it was, the role of the temple leaders speaking into Jesus' life for his own faith development. Think about that. Jesus is the Messiah of the world. Jesus' own faith development required that time away from family and in with the temple leaders, learning new things from them and engaging with them. It's remarkable. Final slide here, we see kind of Jesus' response. It was surprised that they didn't get it. That he needed to spend extra time in his father's house. And friends, I want to make sure this morning we don't overlook the truth that sometimes our own kids or teens or young adults know exactly what they need to develop spiritually better than we know what they need. There are times, not because they have more experience, but because the Holy Spirit is prompting them. 
and compelling them towards something that they are wanting to learn or someone that they're wanting to spend time with. Just like a, a patient may be able to guide a more educated, more experienced doctor because they know their symptoms. They have a sense sometimes of what's wrong and they can guide towards that discovery. Our kids can guide us, but we need to listen. We need to listen and we need to help cultivate the support that the Spirit is prompting them to ask for. Part of why, not the only reason, but part of why Jesus took on humanity in the first place was to show us how to live life with God. Well, this is how a 12-year-old can live life with God. Desiring to be instructing, desiring to be with people that can teach, desiring to be able to ask questions. He wanted to hang out with spiritual leaders. He needed church. He needed it. But then look at what happens. The story turns orange. He realized the need to return home. He chose to return home with his family. He chose to then be obedient for family. This passage dispels any notion that family is more important than church or church is more important than family. There are seasons for both. God uses both. Think about it. Jesus was 12. At that age where you're trying to fit in, at an age where you're trying to be affirmed, you're trying to figure out what you're good at. Here he was sitting. The spotlight was his. All this affirmation. People were amazed. They were astonished. He was getting all this great feedback. And yet he knew that he needed to willingly choose to step back into home life with his family. Because that's where all the understanding from those three days at the temple would get put into practice. In the carpentry shop back home. And he knew he needed both. I love the final verse, 52. After his time at the temple and his time back home, he grew in wisdom and favor with God. What a great orange picture. Wonderfully orange picture of faith development. We're going to pause there. We're going to pause there and have Howard and the team come up and lead us in a time of communion. I'm going to come back then and just share a, a personal story and give us a chance to respond this morning as we wrap up our Orange series. You know, as we close this time together, I just wanted to share a, a brief personal story, and then we're going to have a moment to respond. As a dad, for all the reasons I shared earlier, I know that Leanne and I, on our own, can't raise our kids to thrive in their relationship with the Lord. We need the church. And I don't just mean we need Forest Brook. We need the, the big C church. God's kingdom at work through churches and organizations and individuals. And so over the past 21 years, we have been really blessed by so many orange-minded people and ministries coming around our own kids. And we brainstormed some of them together with the girls last night in sequence, kind of starting from when they were young. This, this is some of the, the big C church that God has allowed to come alongside them. Pioneer Clubs up at Uxbridge Baptist Church, Awana at C4, Kids Fest up at Uxbridge Baptist, VBS at Grace Presbyterian Church over at Port Union, Willow Springs Camp up in Stouffville, starting in 2008 here, the Sunday morning kids worship downstairs, day camp here at Forest Brook, Tuesday night small groups here at Forest Brook, Youth Unlimited, Sunday morning services, including grocery shopping on Sunday morning here at Forest Brook, Honduras Family Mission together here, Youth Retreats, Camp Minioe, multiple Jamaica missions from here with Forest Brook, YWAM, 
Redeemer University, Young Life, and lots of mentors, lots of prayer partners, and other families in each other's homes, pouring into one another's kids. And, you know, we kind of pause, and it's, it's almost overwhelming, God's goodness, but this is his intent for us as families that his big C church comes around and supports. So we're thankful. You know, we realize that's given our kids opportunities to step out and make faith their own, not just mom and dad's. We realize it's given our kids chances to try things, to serve, to fail. And it's given us as parents, and I think this is key, the peace to let our kids venture into some missional places. For us, that's the Toronto Public Schools. And it's been competitive sports. Places where they're not surrounded by Christian friends. But because of this church surrounding us in life, they've been able to venture into those places as Christians where other people don't yet know the Lord. But we needed the church for all that to happen. So as we wrap up this three-week celebration of Orange October, we want to give you an opportunity to reflect. So the ushers are going to come and hand out cards. I think some of they may also be in your bulletins. Are they in bulletins, Jeff? They are not in bulletins. So they're going to get handed out here. Um, if everybody could take one, and I'm going to walk us through what these are. So the first side, the side you're going to look at now, looks something like this. It doesn't have the orange lettering, but I'll talk us through it. It says, God, thank you for providing, and then there's a blank space, to support and come alongside blank. And what I want us to do for this front side, only look at that side of the card for now, want us to take two minutes quietly before the Lord to think about who are we thankful for. So this could be a person's name. It could be Susan Heineman for all the years that she's done the, the girls, junior high girls small group and, and beyond. Maybe if you write in there the Jamaica mission. God, thank you for providing the Jamaica missions trip. Thank you for, for providing summer VBS, or it might be a person's name, to support and come alongside. And what I want there is you put in the name. Maybe it's one of your own kids or grandkids. Maybe it is a friend. Maybe it is a neighbor's grandchild. For those who are younger, maybe it's yourself. Thank you, small group leader, for coming alongside and supporting me. But before we move to the flip side, I think it's important. It was helpful for Leanne and I this week to go through and generate that list. And just that gratitude of all that have kind of come, come alongside us. Many have had similar journeys. So let's just take a moment, be thankful to God for a person or a ministry that he has provided to support a next generation person or yourself in, in their faith development. Let's take two minutes to do that. Perhaps as you go home later this week, you can flesh that list out as we did and have a, a really moving moment of thinking back over God's goodness. Flip the card over. The backside asks a second question. And it says this, God, how are you inviting me to support the faith development of our next generation? And I just want to give a few quick thoughts on this before, again, we take a couple minutes to fill it out. As we get older, uh, we can feel overwhelmed at knowing how to engage or support or even pray for the next generation. I had a chance last week to speak to the seniors at Willowdale Baptist Church, and part of what they shared was just that technology is changing so fast, and entertainment is so different, and social media can seem chaotic. Marijuana is legal now. There were so many things that they, they just felt overwhelmed about how can we make a difference? How do we even pray? And I reminded them, and I want to remind us this morning, that 
that all of us on the inside, our needs remain the same, despite this rapid swirling culture around us. The desire to belong, the desire to feel valued and loved, the need to discover what we're good at and and to find a purpose in our life, the desire to have peace, the desire to be affirmed. So as you think of how you might be able to come alongside, even how you might pray for this next generation uh, or write encouragement notes, I want to encourage you, trust the Holy Spirit to speak to some of those inner needs that have remained the same from when all of us were, were that age. And, and feel free to ignore some of the clutter of culture change and step into those deeper inside things. A second thought, we are really, really blessed at this church to have staff like Yvonne for the kids and Jim for, for teens and now Jeff with young adults to be able to be people that we can turn to for insights or recommendations on how to best engage. So if we're sitting with this question and it feels like a little bit of a blank stare, how are you inviting me to support the faith development? Consider scheduling either a prayer time or a conversation with one of the three of them as your response to this. So they can help walk through what some needed opportunities might be or even how you can pray. And final thought before we fill this in, this question is for all ages. You may be here this morning and you're 12. You may be here this morning and you're 18. Well, this is an invitation to you to think about how you can help those who are younger than yourselves in terms of their faith development. Maybe something with kids, maybe something with junior highs. And maybe part of what God's calling us to, young or old this morning, isn't so much an, attitude, an action step as an attitude change. Perhaps we need to invite God, and, and the way that we can best support is a new perspective, a, a greater support of some of the practices and ministry approaches in this place that are designed to get us interacting across generations. And maybe the best thing that God is inviting you to, or me to, is, is a heart change that would begin to welcome that in a fresh way. So let God take this wherever he chooses. We're again going to take a couple minutes. Uh, I'm going to actually pray to lead us into this one, and then after you filled in the blanks, Kevin's going to come up and, and finish our service off. God, it is, um, it is so cool that, that you have designed this incredible plan of families and church engaging together, all empowered and animated by your spirit for the sake of, of faith in you being developed and passed on across generations. This plan of yours has brought us here 2,000 years after you implemented it. And God, we now listen into you. We invite your spirit to give us a sense of how you are calling each one of us to support this orange blending of family and church together for the sake of those who are, are growing up in faith and growing up in you. So God, speak to us now, I pray in your name. Amen.